Doubt, do not doubt, Jesus says. You know, uh, we say, right, uh, we should have childlike faith. Children are so trusting, they are so believing. But, you know, they're also so gullible and so naive, right? Um, keep, keep making that face and the wind will change and you'll be stuck like that forever, right? Um, I will leave you in this grocery store. You will not leave them in the grocery store. Don't say that to your children. Um, you know, the dog went to live on a great, beautiful farm, right? You know, is that the kind of faith we're meant to have, you know? Uh, childlike faith in a kind of way that's, that's gullible, that's naive. Well, Jesus tells us we can't have childlike faith. He tells us that we shouldn't doubt, but again, not in the way that we might expect. Three questions for our time. What, why, and how? What is doubt? Why do we doubt? And how can our doubts be transformed? What, why, how? Let's begin then by asking this question, what is doubt? Well, we know the Bible tells us that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Doubt, by contrast, is not being so sure and being a little less certain. One theologian says that doubt is the gap that exists between our current faith and perfect faith. Doubt, the gap that exists between our current faith and our perfect faith. Now, we see this with Thomas in verse 25. Look at the text with me. It's an amazing section of God's word. The other disciples tell him, we have seen the Lord. They seem sure. They seem certain. There is no gap for them. But Thomas, he isn't having any of it. Look what he says. See, I need to see this for myself. Otherwise, he says, see there, I'll never believe. (laughs) There's a gap between what he believes and what he's being told to believe. There's a gap between what he believes and what he would like to believe. Now, I don't know about you, but I find this encounter with Thomas really encouraging. (laughs) Why? Because it turns out that 100% of Christians doubt, even disciples like Thomas. What, what are your doubts? What are the things that will occasionally or even regularly pop up in your mind and give you cause for concern? These doubts don't make you a terrible Christian. Doubts do not make you a terrible Christian. One preacher says, you can wonder without wondering. You can wonder without Wondering, The gospel says that you are saved not by perfect obedience, but not by perfect faith. You're saved by the perfect Christ, and it's all of grace. Enough grace to cover all our sins, including all of our doubts. I think this is also encouraging if you wouldn't describe yourself as a Christian this morning. Uh, Doubts aren't normal, and and here's what I'd say. I'd say, um, just because you're questioning something doesn't mean you have to reject everything. Just because you're questioning something doesn't mean you have to reject everything. You may have questions about creation, or about scripture, or about the Bible's approach to sexuality. You may have questions about a whole host of other things, but these questions don't mean that you can't become a Christian. One writer says, We can't go to the bottom of the ocean, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't put our feet in or even swim. 
or even swim. And Jesus offers to save all of us today. And Jesus offers to save you today exactly as you are, doubts and all. Don't feel like all these things need to be resolved before you come to him. Indeed, if you are feeling grace calling you today, then come and then work through all these doubts with us. Because we still have them and we'd be glad to do that with you. So, question one, what is doubt? Doubt is not being sure. Doubt is not being certain. Doubt is the gap that exists between our current faith and perfect faith. And it's something that we've all struggled with from Thomas all the way through to today. Question number two then is why? Why do we doubt? Well, we see two things in Thomas that help explain many of our our own doubts. The first has to do with intellect. And the second has to do with experience. Why do we doubt? Let's look at these two areas. First of all, the intellect. Thomas's doubt is, in a sense, intellectual. He didn't believe that they had seen Christ. Why? Because he knew that Christ had been crucified. He knew that Christ was dead. And so now when the disciples tell him, oh, we've seen the Lord, it doesn't make sense to him. He knows this isn't possible. And it's fair enough because dead people have a long track record of staying dead, right? This is a very reasonable objection on Thomas's part. In verse 25, we see his, his brain kicks into gear. You can see the, the cogs are turning. He reflects back, isn't it beautiful, on the crucifixion. And he remembers in detail the wounds that Christ bore on the cross. And so he says, look at it with me, verse 25, unless... I see in his hands the mark of the nails. Unless I place my finger into the mark of the nails, unless I place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Thomas isn't looking for some sign, for some miracle, for some mystical experience. Thomas is looking for hard evidence because his doubts are intellectual. His doubts are intellectual, and I think for many of us, we can, we can understand how he feels. Why? Because sometimes this faith, this uh, gospel, this thing called Christianity, sometimes doesn't make sense to us. Sometimes it doesn't make sense to us. We uh, start doubting when things don't add up in our minds. Perhaps we get thinking, well, you know, what about all the other religions? Can it it be possible that all the other religions are wrong and we were just the only one that's right? Or we start thinking, you know, um, what about all the suffering in the world? How how is it possible that if there's a good God, there's so much pain, so much sorrow, so much evil? Or or we start thinking, well, you know, uh, hasn't science disproved so much of Christianity? Creation, the flood, all these things. All these things can't really be true. Things that don't line up in our minds, perhaps, that don't seem right, that don't make sense to our intellect, and so we start to doubt. Intellectual component to Thomas's doubt. The second component that we see has to do not with his intellect, but with his experience. Look at this with me. Thomas's own experience causes him to doubt as well. Why were the other disciples so sure, so certain that Jesus was alive? Well, they also knew that he'd been crucified, right? So, so what brought about this change in them? Look with me at verse 19. 
answer is found here. In a section we didn't read, you see the title there, Jesus appears to the disciples. Verse 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, so there they are on a Sunday together worshipping, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. So this is a week after the resurrection, and Jesus appears to them. He literally comes physically, bodily, into their midst, and we read, stands among them. They see his face. They hear his voice. They experience that he's alive. But now look at verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. What's the point? Never miss church. (laughs) You don't know what's going to happen, right? (laughs) Maybe not. The other point is this. The other disciples had experienced the risen Christ, but Thomas hadn't. All he'd experienced was was death, was was crucifixion, was, was sadness, was sorrow. So his experience tells him Christ is dead and he doubts. What he has interacted with tells him that Christ is dead. And again, perhaps, we we can understand how he feels. (laughs) We can understand how this happens because sometimes in our lives... um, we experience things that make the gospel hard to believe. Things happen to us that make the gospel hard to believe. Perhaps it's as simple as, you know, missing out on that promotion and wondering if God really hears your prayers. Perhaps it's getting that diagnosis or losing that child that makes you wonder, does he, does he even exist? Perhaps it's living in this upside-down culture that is so um, opposed to the things of Christ that you start to feel just a little bit crazy. Can these things really be true? Sometimes we experience things that lead us to doubt. So why do we doubt? Like Thomas, it has to do with our intellect, when things don't make sense to us. And it has to do with our experience, when things don't work out the way we hope. Let's look then at our third question. Having seen the what and the why, let's consider how. How are our doubts transformed? Well, two more things make all the difference for Thomas and can make all the difference for us as well. First of these has to do with evidence. Evidence for the intellect. See how Jesus shows up and gives Thomas evidence. Look at verse 26 with me. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and this time, Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Can you imagine the scene? Okay, The disciples are gathered again, and this time, Thomas is with them. And Jesus appears to them again. And a collective smile kind of breaks out in the room as they see this one who has died and now risen and is now living with them. And everyone looks at Thomas. <laughs> and they say, we told you he was alive. <laughs> like, look, 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 isn't this awesome? <laughs> isn't this great? Can you believe Christ is risen? He is risen indeed. Oh, sing hallelujah, they say to each other. 
Perhaps there was a moment's silence as Thomas looks at Jesus, um, stunned, bewildered. Silence then is broken as Jesus inhales. And we wonder what he's about to say. Is he going to rebuke Thomas for his lack of faith? Is he going to rebuke Thomas for, for his doubts? But when Jesus opens his lips, we hear no anger, we hear no frustration. Look with me at verse 27. This is so good. And Jesus said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. In this room full of people, Jesus hones in on Thomas and gives him the evidence that he needs in order that he might believe. It's so intentional, it's so kind. But note how closely Jesus' words mirror Thomas's words. For every demand of Thomas, there's a command of Christ. Put a finger on verse 25 and another finger on verse 27. See, Thomas says, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails. What does Jesus say? See my hands. Thomas says, secondly, unless I put my finger into the mark of the nails. Jesus says, put your finger here. Thomas says, unless I place my hand into his side, Jesus says, place your hand in my side. Thomas says, I will never believe. Jesus says, stop disbelieving and believe. He comes to him and gives him the evidence that he needs and then calls him to believe. (laughs) Having removed every ground for unbelief, he calls him to faith. And friends, there's something very instructive about this for us. About the fact that Jesus doesn't just rebuke, but does provide evidence in this intentional, gracious, kind way. It's something instructive for us in our doubts. That when we have doubts, it's okay for us to study the evidence that we might believe. When we have these intellectual doubts, it's okay to study the evidence and believe. Christianity has always been a thinking faith. We're not afraid that the truth is going to be found out. We're not afraid that this whole thing is just a house of cards and one question and it's all going to fall flat. It's good to wrestle with questions that you might find answers. Tim Keller says, A faith without some doubts is like a human body without antibodies in it. Not good. People who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy when something terrible happens to you or the probing questions of a smart skeptic when you're challenged about your faith. A person's faith can collapse almost overnight if she has failed over the years to listen patiently to her own doubts. We should only be discarded after long reflection. And you know, as a pastor, I've I've seen this again and again. The people with the strongest faith are invariably those who have really and truly wrestled with their doubts, wrestled with their questions, wrestled with their fears. It turns out that doubt, as it were, is a kind of gateway to faith, (laughs) a gateway to faith where we don't 
focus on the doubts, but instead move through them to know the Lord. They are the means through which we come to own our beliefs. And so with your doubts, if you have these intellectual doubts, I encourage you to study the evidence. To study the evidence. To read, reflect, to think, think, think. To know that it's safe to do so here at this church. In our Sunday schools, in our small groups, ask questions, discuss, together pursue answers. Thomas needed evidence, and often so do we. But there's more. There's more in this text. I think we'd be wrong to conclude that Thomas was won over by the evidence alone. Uh, One pastor says, no matter how persuasively evidence is presented to you, You will never embrace the claims of the Christian gospel unless there is more than the logic of an argument. You need evidence, yes, but you need more than that. Our doubts are transformed by evidence, yes, but also by an encounter. An encounter with the risen Christ. Don't you love it? I love the Bible. Don't you love it that Thomas is like, well, I need evidence for my faith. And Jesus doesn't just send him evidence. You know, he doesn't just send him like a sign or a voice from heaven or a notarized letter. You know, I am risen indeed, right? Jesus, right? Um, Jesus sends Thomas himself. He, he sends Thomas himself. Not just the persuasion of an argument, but the presence of a saviour. And it's the presence of the risen Christ that makes all the difference. Thomas encounters him and verse 28 says, My Lord and my God. It's one of the great Christological statements of the New Testament. If anyone ever tells you the Bible never says that Jesus is God, what do you do? Really? My Lord and my God? It doesn't get much clearer than that. But Thomas, see how he is, his doubts have become a gateway for faith? He now takes us to the mountain peak because he was prepared to be in the valley. And what made the difference? The experience of the risen Christ, an encounter with him, being with the Lord. Now, friends, your encounter need not be so dramatic. It need not be so dramatic. Um, For example, C.S. Lewis describes his first encounter with Christ this way. This is great. Uh, He was being driven to the zoo by his brother in the sidecar of a motorcycle. I mean, that's great to start with, right? And he writes, When we set out, I did not believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. And when we reached the zoo, I did. Yet, I had not exactly spent the journey in thought, nor in great emotion. It was more like when a man, after long sleep, still lying motionless in bed, becomes aware that he is now awake. You may have a dramatic encounter with Christ, or you may have a quiet encounter with Christ. But what matters is that you encounter him. (laughs) That you would encounter him, that you would know his presence in your life, and that with Thomas and with Lewis, you would know that he is the son of, of God. Have you had that encounter, be it dramatic or quiet? I'm not talking about some mystical experience where your emotions are front and center. I'm talking about an encounter with him where you know he is the center of everything. 
He's the center of, of everything. And if you have, then I hope that something in your heart just leaps when you hear his name. An awareness of Christ's presence with us. The reality of our union with him. He in us, us in him. It's a beautiful truth. It's a profound reality. And if you haven't had that encounter, then I would pray that with Thomas, you would look to him right now. Not later, now. (laughs) Now. That you would look away from yourself and see Jesus. That you would see his wounds and that you would know these wounds were born for you. That you would encounter him even now and become a Christian. Believe that he is risen. Risen indeed for my sins, for your sins, that we may have life. I pray that you would have the strength to know he loves you and be filled with all his fullness. An encounter with the risen Christ. We need evidence, yes, but we also need encounter. What is doubt? Not being sure, not being certain. The gap between our current faith and perfect faith. Why do we doubt? Because of our intellect, because of our experience. How are our doubts transformed through evidence, but supremely through encounter? Francis Schaeffer once wrote, Someone will say, Didn't Jesus say that to be saved, you have to be as a little child? Of course he did. But did you ever see a little child who didn't ask questions? (laughs) People who use this argument against doubt must never have listened to children or even been one. (laughs) He writes, My four children gave me a harder time with their endless flow of questions than any university people ever have. (laughs) May we be a place where we bring our doubts to Jesus and find that they're transformed. Don't doubt, my friends. Jesus says, believe. It's a beautiful no. Let's pray to God. Father, we do doubt. We find it hard to believe. We have strength one minute and weakness the next. We're not always sure. We're not always certain. There is a gap, Lord, between our current faith and perfect faith. In our minds, through our intellects, in our hearts, through experience, we do question you. And Lord, we're so grateful that the gospel comes to us without condemnation. Without condemnation. Jesus comes and and gives us the evidence. But supremely, Lord, he gives us himself. And Lord, we need this encounter. An encounter that can be manufactured. An encounter that cannot be brought about. An encounter that can only take place by the power of your spirit. That we would know in union with you that we are yours and that you are ours. Lord, help us to believe. We believe. Help our unbelief. That in the gospel, everything we have might really have us. We pray in the perfect name of Christ. Amen.